0: Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. The Denver Nuggets are your top seed in the West. First time in their history. And, of course, they've been in such control for so long that it's been actually kind of hard to get a read on what's going on with the team. So joining us now to break that all down, lead Nuggets analyst for Mile High Sports, uh, Ryan Blackburn. You can follow him on Twitter, NBA Blackburn. And, of course, check out the Pickaxe and Roll podcast, uh, both wherever you get podcasts, and on YouTube. Uh, Ryan, thanks so much for joining us. I guess, uh, first thoughts, it's been most of the season, quite frankly, since the Nuggets have been in control of the Western Conference. But here they are for the first time in their history, the top seed. Uh, y- you've been, obviously, watching this team for a long time does it still seem a little surreal to know that this team has been that good all season long?
1: Well, it's funny. I saw a number uh, just, just a few days ago that the nuggets have been in control of the one seed for over, I think, I think it's about 120 days now. So basically four months and, and you quickly forget just how, how, how quickly Denver controlled that one seed, how they extended that lead over the Memphis Grizzlies. And then, retained it for the entirety of, of the rest of the season. And they the season basically ended when the Nuggets defeated the Grizzlies in that home game on I think it was March 3rd or March 4th, one of those two days. And and after that, Denver was just ready to get healthy. They're ready to uh wind down the season and, and they I don't I don't think that they should be blamed for the rest of the West being such crap this year that they they now look like the rest of the Western Conference because they don't have any reason to try.
2: It is true that the Nuggets in calendar year 2023 have won 30 games. Uh, they've been very steady throughout the season, and the 30 games they won in 2023 down the stretch in the regular season suggest that. Do we go with that as the primary indicator or predictor as to how the Nuggets perform in the playoffs? Or are we just a little bit concerned that in March and April, the Nuggets went nine and 10?
1: It's a great question, Sandy. I, I I think that no matter who you ask the, the general answer is going to be, I don't know. Uh, This team at this point has, gone through their ups and downs. The beginning of the season wasn't what I think many people hoped, although they were still winning games. Uh, The middle of the season, I think separated Denver as the best team in the NBA during that stretch. And and it was, it was a, it was a 40 game stretch and it it wasn't a, it wasn't a small thing that they, that they were able to do that during. I I think most people would generally consider uh, that, that stretch from December, January, February to be the most indicative of what a team is going to be rather than than March and April or October and November. It's just because you're going to have the most teams trying during that stretch. And everybody's trying to bank wins during that time. And that that's what I think is the most important stretch. And I think when Denver wanted to be, they were the best team in the NBA and their, their lack of motivation down the stretch. Isn't really a surprise to me. Uh, it's It's very reflective of what they were at the beginning of the season, but I do think that Denver checked enough boxes that i I consider this team more of that december january February team rather than the the two ends of the spectrum.
0: How much Ryan has the last few games and maybe a week, week and a half given Michael Malone in an effort to streamline the way he's going to handle his bench, what guys are going to carve out what roles and how much time, obviously trying to force feed this and make it all sort of fit together in the wake of Bones Highland defection made it that uh, a situation that for the Nuggets, they had to kind of scramble to fill this bench. How has that program come along now as the regular season has come to an end?
1: Well, I think the Nuggets found out pretty quickly during this season that Christian Brown was a player. They they didn't know to what level he was going to be able to contribute, but found out pretty quickly that, that he's a guy that deserves to be in the rotation every single night. They already knew that Bruce Brown was their sixth starter. That that was going to be a guy that was going to be out there every single night, too. And, and then Jeff Green is, is the guy over the course of this last month or so. He's played better. He, he hasn't played great. He hasn't been perfect, but he has played better. I think he's put himself into a better position as a shooter. He's attacked. He has switched better on the defensive end. And he's another guy that in these big moments in these key games has stepped up. I remember back to that Memphis game in early March where it was actually Jeff Green's defense that that stood out to me. His defense and his rebounding in terms of getting Denver over that hump in a, in a big way in that game. So he's going to be a guy, those three off the bench along with the starters are going to make up the bulk of Denver's eight-man rotation. They found that out over the course of these last six weeks or so. Though I do want to mention, I, I think you're bringing this up for the, for the mention of Peyton Watson, who <laughs> Peyton Watson, of, of all people, like I, I had no expectations of him dating back to two weeks ago. And lo and behold, uh, he's the guy that steps up and, and and writes his name, at least in pencil, on, on as an option that Denver can use in these playoff series because of his ability to guard, because of his ability to run the floor and, and do the defend rebound run mantra that the Nuggets like off their bench.
2: Well, that leads to the question I was going to ask you, and I'll throw Watson's name in with Reggie Jackson's and ish Smith's name of those three. As a fourth guy off the bench, if needed due to injury, foul trouble, who do you think Malone trusts the most of those three? Maybe he doesn't really fully trust any of them, but uh, take a stab at it. Uh, Among (laughs) Watson, Jackson, and Ish Smith, who is likely to be that fourth guy off the bench if necessary.
1: Ah, that's a that's a fun one. That's a that's a fun question. I I think what he has said, and I'm gonna I'm gonna use Malone's own words on this. Uh, what he said pregame on Sunday yesterday right. Right. Uh, about this rotation was that it was going to be those eight guys, and, and then based off of the situation, based off of what they were going to need. In any of these games, that it could be any of them, and and I think you have to throw in Zeke Naji and Black Chance Oh yeah, and even like Thomas Bryant into into this mix. Although I'm mm. I'm I'm a little bit cooler on the idea of Thomas Bryant. that yeah, so guy.
2: He seems to be uh, in the doghouse, for lack of a better term. Although he did get minutes yesterday.
1: Yeah, and uh, game 82. Man, good good yeah. on good on the coaching staff to get him in for for that important mm. stretch there. Yeah. Uh, no, I th- I think that. I think that if I had to pick between the three names that you list, it's probably Reggie Jackson, just because as as Michael Malone made sure to point out, both pregame and postgame, that he has the playoff experience and the high level performance that the Nuggets are going to need, and, and has had moments where he stepped into uh, the the role of high volume scorer off the bench, or at least somebody that can get you through various minutes and then have the ability to make shots, which I think if you look at Bruce Brown, Christian Brown, and Jeff Green, that's that's not a great trait for any of those guys. They're, they're not going to carry the load on the offensive end, which is why you see so much staggering. It's why you see Jamal Murray and Michael Porter and Aaron Gordon and guys like that staggering with that second unit. But if you have a, a Reggie Jackson who can carry at least a little bit of offense there, then it makes some sense to, to put him out there in that situation just to get you through some minutes. Though I do think... Uh, if it were up to me, I, I might throw Peyton Watson out there now. I think he's proven enough over the course of these past couple of weeks that in the playoffs where you actually need uh, some tangible game-changing ability, Watson's defense and his ability to run the floor will be more valuable than than Reggie Jackson in terms of taking shots.
0: Given the the last performance in which we saw the starters against the Jazz in a game in which they were kind of underwhelming, Nicole Jokic looked passive, Uh, How much do you put into that? Do you put in any of it because it was bracketed by games in which they didn't play at all is coming into this playoffs, which is still a week from uh, yesterday for the Nuggets. Are there any particular players among the starters that you are concerned have to step up their game?
1: No. Um, I think that. I think that Nikola Jokic is, is the one guy that you're looking to as, as, the leader of Denver's emotional letdowns in in some of these situations where the team is going to take on the personality of their best player. And if Jokic isn't really up for it from an aggressiveness standpoint, a shooting standpoint, a defense standpoint, then there's no reason for anybody else to really be up for it at that point. I think that Jokic is going to be fantastic in this upcoming game one on, on this upcoming Sunday. And I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be. He has so much pressure on him. And, and I think he knows that the, the playoffs are going to be where that's tested. He's been saving energy. He has been conserving. He is trying to approach this from the perspective of the long haul, knowing that the, the only story that's going to be written at this point that he really cares about is the ability to win a championship with this team. And, and I think he's going to bring that aggression when it's needed not necessarily in a game 81 against the Utah jazz. Uh, But there's, there's been like, I can understand why people are concerned. I do get it. I do believe that you should try to play your best basketball before the playoffs rather than average to meh basketball. But I, I just think that this team has shown that when they need to, they will step up in those big moments and provide the requisite energy and focus and discipline that you need for playoff basketball and Jokic is, is definitely the leader of that.
2: It is interesting, and I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, it, it does seem to have been the case that for whatever reason, he's been coasting. Obviously, the other day in Salt Lake, he hardly shot the ball. Uh, on a day when everybody, people were coming out of the stands, Uh, to shoot the basketball. He was the only one who didn't seem terribly uh, interested in engaging uh, that way in the game. But do you subscribe to the theory that now at least the MVP talk will stop? Because that's a regular season award. There's no more to be done with that. Now it's strictly playoffs. Does that help him? At least psychologically.
1: I think, I think there's something to it. I think that once it became pretty clear that, that Jokic could actually win a third straight MVP is when things kind of went downhill. <laughs> there, was, there was that point where, where he kind of climbed the mountain a little bit, played in that Philly game when, when Joel Embiid did not, outplayed Giannis Antetokounmpo, and he was, he was showing up in those moments, played really well. And there was a very brief moment where the odds kind of swung back into his favor. And then there was a lot of pushback uh, after that. And, and I think he, he really torqued down his actual efforts and, and his willingness to to really go full bore. I think that taking away that distraction is a good thing. I think that he has been a guy for a long time that hasn't asked for any of this has always wanted to, to be about the team has never liked the MVP conversation and especially this year with it getting as ugly and disgusting as it has, it's not surprising to me that, that he's shying away from it. And I think getting away from that in this postseason will be good, uh, very similar to Giannis Antetokounmpo in 2021, in my mind, where the Milwaukee Bucks kind of, they performed well, but, but weren't perfect in that season. Jokic won the MVP that year, despite Giannis having a really good case. And then Giannis went out and destroyed worlds along the way to getting his first title and, and really, I think vindicating a lot of people's feelings on him. And, and I think getting away from the naysayers, I think that Jokic is very much on a similar track. I think that he is a guy who wants it to be about the team just as Giannis did. And there's going to be hell to pay. I think just, just in a lot of ways, if it doesn't happen, but, I think he knows that i think he's very ready for this moment and is excited to to i think right some wrongs over these past couple of years
0: we're talking with brian blackburn of the mileage sports uh, pickaxe and roll podcast of course you can check him out at nba blackburn and i guess now that we uh, we don't know which team we'll be facing but we know it's likely to be given a minnesota situation either the timberwolves the pelicans or the thunder Uh, sandy obviously has concerns about each of those teams for various reasons. Is there one that you don't want the Nuggets to see in the first round?
1: I think it, it would probably be the Lakers at this point. I think my conversation mm-hmm. with Sandy and and you uh you Sean, I think really changed my my opinion on it. But also just over this last couple days, the Timberwolves have, have really floundered. They uh, they they have Lost Jaden McDaniels by the looks of it for, that, for an actual, that was
2: worse I thought than losing Gobert yesterday
1: there's, there's I, no I doubt,
2: thought a guy punching a wall breaking his wrist I I think in terms of value to the team and how he fits in with the team I think the guy with a broken wrist is the much bigger loss Oh of
1: course and, and Jaden McDaniels I think has become maybe the top perimeter defender on the wing in the NBA. Yes. And and having a guy like that, that you just, you just say sayonara to, uh, that is a, that is a really big blow. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what actually happens with the Timberwolves, whether they can survive in advance in this play. And I do think that if, if I were handicapping it though, the Lakers do have a lot of momentum. There's no doubt about that. If you had to choose, between the four teams, you're probably not choosing the team that has LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and we'll definitely get the benefit of plenty of whistles. And the team like that.
2: that also has a 14 and six record in March and April.
1: What I will push <laughs> back on with that is is I, I I think if you remember back to 2021, the Portland Trailblazers were awesome leading up to a series with the Denver Nuggets, who were kind of not floundering, but but definitely like without Jamal Murray at that point we're, we're seen as vulnerable. And then the Nuggets won in six games and it didn't really matter that the Blazers had played as well as they had leading up to the playoffs. I, I think that momentum is mostly a myth in this case. And, and a team like Denver, because of the week off that they're going to get, they will build back up momentum. There's going to be no question about that. And uh, I, I think that you, you want to stay away from it if you can because there are definitely weaker opponents. Uh, I think Denver would probably prefer to play the Thunder because they don't have a matchup for Jokic. They'd probably prefer to play the Pelicans because they like if they don't have Zion Williamson they probably don't have enough top end talent to really match up with Denver. And then they'd now probably rather play the Timberwolves because the Timberwolves just lost their best perimeter defender and they also have Gobert and Towns who I, I, think, I think Jokic can match up with those guys reasonably well. So I think there's a there's there's I, it's really just a lack of other worse options that that you have to put the Lakers at the top of that particular conversation. But uh, there's there's no team that scares me in the play and That's for sure.
0: All right. Well, this is going to be an interesting week here as, as the Nuggets get what they've earned, what they've looked for a rest, an opportunity to go ahead and rest and and uh, get healthy and get ready for the playoffs. I think Sandy pointed out at the beginning of the show that. Probably be a lot more resting this week than even practicing right now to get this team right. And uh, you want to stay on top of it? You want to follow Ryan? You go ahead and follow on uh, Twitter, NBA Blackburn. Check out the Pickaxe and Roll podcast. You can not only listen to it, but you can view it on YouTube as well. You can also find all that at MileHighSports.com. Ryan, this is going to be a, a hard week to have no basketball, but at the same time, a really informative one for the Nuggets who know that they will have to play a team that's already two games tired into the playoffs. When they get to face them on Sunday, so that's one of the advantages you have. that's what they've played hard enough to get this top seed, and that's what they'll be doing. So thanks for the time. I appreciate it. We're looking forward to checking in with you next time.
1: Thanks guys. looking forward to it. Always appreciate
0: you. All right, thanks. That
2: was the big point that
1: you just made. You
2: know no matter which of the teams you're facing, they've had to play that team will have had to play
0: yep. two games. one of them will had to play two elimination games. I mean, between yep. the nine, the nine and ten, that's two straight elimination that's, games.
2: That's exactly right. So,
0: I mean, that there's no ability right. to rest. That,
2: that, if seven beats eight or eight beats seven, the loser has another shot. So, the seven-eight game is not an elimination game. The nine-ten game is an elimination mm-hmm. game, and so I, that, there are all these interesting factors. And uh, Ryan is on on top of it with respect to McDaniel's uh, injury. To me, that was the story coming out of the Minnesota-New Orleans game yesterday. Yes, Minnesota won and got the eighth spot as opposed to the ninth. And I could see a rematch between those two teams in Minnesota later this week. I definitely could see that. But the big news to me coming out of that game was that McDaniels broke his wrist, apparently punching a wall. and it's just been that kind of year with a very weird Minnesota Timberwolves team is it, it just odd stuff has happened. Town's missing all that time. And then go bear from the beginning, I think proving to be ill suited for that kind of environment. Uh, I think what we saw yesterday is an example of his teammates having very little regard for him personally or professionally. And he strikes me as a guy who had a chance to be a very good, if not great player in this league. And he's blown that uh, starting with all the uh, COVID escapades uh, that came out of uh, March of 2020.
0: Well, we'll find out on He's Tuesday. never recovered from that. No, you're really And hasn't. I think,
2: look what Donovan Mitchell's doing now for Cleveland. Right. Yep. Donovan Mitchell is a first or second team All NBA guy. Rudy Gobert isn't even a first or second, in my opinion, All Defensive Team guy anymore, though he once was. Yeah, it's definitely
0: moving in different directions when you're talking about those. So, two if guys.
2: you're wondering who was the good guy and who was the bad guy in that conflict, it seems Mitchell was the guy who was either the good guy. Or the guy who had more legitimate grievances against the
0: other. Worth noting too, I always love to remind people of that. Both Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, originally drafted by the Denver Nuggets before they being were. sent to the Utah Jazz, they were. They'd like to have one of them right now. Wouldn't that change things? But, Ah Tyler Lydon, uh, how we I, don't miss I, you I, at all. Uh, I,
2: I, I don't. I don't. I I don't know though because it seems I, I'm not sure. Mitchell and Murray in the bubble at that great one-on-one matchup, right where they both seem capable of scoring forty-five to fifty points every game. I'm not sure they play that well together, though. Yeah,
0: got to be averaging more than Tyler Lydon's 0. 0.0 points a game. Well, true. <laughs> so there's that. True. The Colorado Avalanche find that themselves... would require
2: some coaching dexterity. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure the Nuggets possess. But yeah, in any case, know. listen, the one guy you know you don't want is Gobert, and I kind of like, if I were to pick, I think the Lakers would beat Minnesota. I think New Orleans would knock off Minnesota. I think New Orleans will take care of Oklahoma City, and I think with home court. And then New Orleans will go to Minnesota and win the game that actually they probably should have won yesterday.
0: I can see that being the case. We'll find out starting Tuesday when the play-in tournament begins, of course, tomorrow. The Avalanche will take on the Edmonton Oilers with an opportunity to continue locking down the Central Division. We'll take a look at them next that making love Sandy Clough and Chantro Tar, presented by Burnham Wall. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Three games left in the regular season for the Colorado Avalanche tomorrow. Of course, they will take on in a very high-profile national ESPN game. The Edmonton Oilers, I don't know how they can be more a telegenic a matchup than Now these That's, two that, that's teams. not
2: going to get blacked out the way the game last night
0: did. I don't think I so? don't think so. Yeah, I'm not really sure how that all worked yesterday, to I be not honest. either. Yeah, we even asked her on the mile I nobody really knew how that worked. So I'm not really sure why. Somewhere somewhere it was, somewhere it wasn't. But the uh, abs oilers did, did tomorrow. Did you see that?
2: Were you expecting? I was expecting the game to be on TNT. Yeah, so I, I turned it I'm on. i to watch it. Yeah. And all of a sudden, this due to contractual obligations, hmm. it sounded like, you know what it sounded like? It sounded like, I mean, there wasn't a voice behind it. It was just there on the screen in black and white. It sounded like what they say before NFL games, their home games. Right. That they're forced to telecast in the local market.
0: Yeah. Well, even though you're watching the end of a really good game, but your bad team is playing out the string, but you wish you could maybe watch the last three minutes of this yeah. game, but they, and they know it and they feel bad. But we're
2: contractually obligated. <laughs> yeah, it's not our fault. That's, that's we, the phrase that
0: we know this is a better game. Right. Yeah. So they, they had to move it, but, uh, I don't think we'll see that on Tuesday. I think that's going to be, basically, if you have ESPN and you like hockey. Uh, yes. And it's bon a 7-30 start. Because this is going to be a special. start. Yeah. It should be a tremendous amount of fun. Then they will be at home Thursday against Winnipeg, back-to-back Friday at Nashville. That will finish it. And um, when you're talking about the teams they're playing, you know, you pointed it out, Sandy, for a long time, the Abs had the most favorable closing schedule in hockey. Now, of course, you get the Oilers, who have 105 points and have the second-highest points in the entire Western Conference. Then you will get... uh, Hottest team in the West. Yeah, Winnipeg, who, as it stands right now, would be the final wild card at 91 points. And even then Nashville on Friday, by the way, they're not eliminated. Now, they might be eliminated by By, Friday. By then, they probably Probably will be. be, But stranger things have happened. They are only three points out.
2: Interesting. Calgary is is there challenging... Uh, For uh, a final spot, they would be uh, the fifth-place team, yes, in the Pacific, but that would uh, force Winnipeg out, and there's only a one-point difference, and Calgary's played maybe a little bit better lately than Mm -hmm. Winnipeg has. Well, we'll find out. And Nashville's still mathematically alive. Obviously, you have St. Louis, Arizona, Chicago, uh, Vancouver, San Jose, Anaheim, all eliminated, but the, their number of teams still alive. Redders take on the Flames tonight in Calgary. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's going to sort the some loser, things out. The uh, loser, even if it's a one-point overtime game, uh, the loser is dead, uh, probably, probably pretty so. much. Uh, the winner,
0: though, is alive. Calgary's, and if the
2: winner's Calgary,
0: well, this is Calgary's eighty-first game tonight. So they only have one more after this. Yeah, so if Calgary I, loses, I, I, they're probably well, toast. Uh, yeah,
2: you know, and that and that's. Uh, That's Winnipeg's advantage. One-point lead, and they have, I believe, a game in
0: hand. Yeah, and you let the two teams pursuing you play. They get to play each other tonight. Right. So one of them pretty much is going to get
2: That's actually pretty good news for Winnipeg. But you know what? Winnipeg has got to play the Wild on the road and the Avalanche on the road. So mm, they aren't totally And that's where I find it
0: intriguing. See, if Nashville were to win tonight, they'd be... They'd be still with it with Winnipeg. They'd kind of bounce Calgary. And then all of a sudden, you're talking about the Avs with the next two games after Tuesday being Winnipeg and Nashville. Both of those teams may be desperate hockey teams trying to keep their seasons alive. You know who
2: else gets Winnipeg at home and Nashville on the road? Minnesota. It's the same schedule except Minnesota gets Chicago tonight. Right. And the Avs get Edmonton tomorrow night. But otherwise, they play the same two teams in the final two games. Dallas has a home and home with St. Louis after tonight's game in Detroit.
0: Yep. The, the uh, Minnesota Wild by the way, you talk about that Jets game. Minnesota will play tonight against Chicago, but then they will also play Tuesday. So they have and they're on the first to night, back. night of the back-to-back. Uh, yeah. Maybe. Yeah, and I don't Winnipeg I, don't, I think if incentive. you're Colorado, I just I don't think if you're the Abs I, mean, it's I don't think four you're points. worried about I'm not the Wild. I'm not Minnesota's. Money. Yeah, I don't think Minnesota's a concern anymore. No. I think it's just the I, stars. I think
2: it's the Avs in Dallas battling for first, and obviously Dallas would have that tiebreaker on regulation wins. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, yeah, it, and uh, you know, to me, that's a lousy primary tiebreaker. I'm sorry, the Avs are 15 and six in overtimes and shootouts this year. They, that they shouldn't be penalized for that, and and the Wild have lost. Uh, uh, not the wild, the stars have lost 14 games in overtime or should I, why should they be rewarded yeah, it's like for that? in a tiebreaker. It's very strange. Like those games don't count.
0: Yeah. I don't understand that. Yeah. I mean, your primary tiebreaker obviously should just be head to head. I mean that. And then I even like well, the that's idea. That's the way it
2: is in the NBA. Yeah. And if that were the case, the ass would have, it
0: should be in every, I mean, head to head should be first. And then I actually always like the idea. That you it, go there, down a bit. There are two
2: things I don't like division, about opponent, whatever you want, the, the, the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, one, one is the, the stupid primary tie make, uh, tiebreaker on regulation wins. A- and the other, I, I don't like the 2-3 matchups in each division. I, I just don't. Look, look at the 2-3 matchups
0: that we'll be getting.
2: and uh, If the playoffs yeah, were to if, start if today. If they
0: start today, okay. yeah.
2: Right. Wild and Dallas, but the Kings and Edmonton, that one of those two teams, and I know the Kings have kind of slumped off lately. I hate the idea that in the first round of the playoffs, you're going to lose the Kings or Edmonton. Both of them deserve a better, easier opponent, right? A better opponent from their point of view. And in in the East, it's kind of the same thing. You've got a team that's won the Stanley Cup two out of the last three years playing Toronto. Mm-hmm. And all of the psychological ghosts will reemerge for the Maple Leafs, who lost last year to Tampa with home ice, will be matched against them this year with home ice. And, I mean, it's pretty obvious to me Toronto's a better team, but what about all those psychological scars? And then you have, even more disconcertingly, the Rangers and New Jersey You'll lose one of those teams in the first round. That's insane.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm. To, it's, it's insane. I don't mind it because I do like no,
2: New Jersey and the Rangers.
0: Your divisions actually are really need something. And
2: third best teams in the East.
0: Right. That's the concern. But like the NBA, for example, they're, they're,
2: they're both better than Carolina. Carolina got a big lead and is just yeah. now hanging on for dear life. The only team better than New Jersey and the Rangers in the East is obviously <clears throat> Boston. Why should you lose either one of them in the first round of the playoffs? They should not be playing each other.
0: I I get the point, but I but what I do like about it is the fact that your divisions matter, unlike in the NBA where I don't even know why the NBA has divisions anymore. What's the point? Who who plays in the I Nuggets division? I never look at the division standings. Seriously, never. ask an average Nuggets fan. Somebody who, said the who Nuggets who is actually in their division a few anymore? Weeks ago, it doesn't matter who who's in it. Remember a
2: few weeks ago that. They what are they in the northwest? The division. Okay,
0: what, like, who's in that? who cares? Yeah, it doesn't even matter. What? What's the division for? There's no point. Uh, the NBA made its divisions irrelevant. In the NHL, at least the divisions are relevant. You have to come out of your division for the most part. But you, you're not wrong. In the West, if today, if the playoffs started today, you'd have Vegas taking on Winnipeg. You'd have Edmonton as the number two seed taking on Seattle. You'd have the Avs taking on the Kings, and the Stars and the Wild would actually be playing anyway as the fourth and the fifth just as it stands on points so i, I get i get your point and it's one of those things where you you're not wrong but i happen to think like if you're going to bother to have divisions then make them be impactful but that's the problem that you can make the argument a baseball has if had forever division, because if you're in the wrong division if, if, if you want the division wrong division is you have a
2: stronger than the other why should the second and third place teams be penalized for being in the division, harder division be, being, being penalized. or more
0: more even accurately, but, how come the other teams in a lesser division who have presumably done but, less get I,
2: I mean, nobody thinks Toronto or Tampa Bay could touch Boston, right? Not today. Nobody.
0: But there are a lot of people who
2: look at Carolina, totally New Jersey, and the Bay. Rangers, you're talking about 109, 108, and 106. I mean, there's nothing to choose. And over the last 10 games, uh, the Rangers have 14 points, New Jersey has 11, and Carolina has 9. Carolina's fading. In in my opinion, I don't even think Carolina is one of the three best teams in the conference anymore. Uh, but I think it's it goes Boston, New Jersey, uh, Rangers, uh, probably Toronto before you get down to Carolina. And Carolina's going to end up playing Florida
0: or the Islanders and maybe Pittsburgh in in the first round. Yeah, it's that that setup is interesting because I'm I'm looking over the NBA right now, right. And the Nuggets uh, won their Northwest Division over the Timberwolves by eleven games, so it's been a laugher there. It also hasn't mattered, but look. But here's the example in the in the opposite direction, right? The Southwest Division, Memphis won by nine, but then again, that division has the Rockets and the Spurs almost thirty games out in an eighty-two game season. How do you do that? And look at the Pacific: Sacramento Kings are third, Phoenix Suns are fourth, the Clippers are five, the Warriors are sixth, the Lakers are seventh. That's the whole division in the NBA. I mean, that's it. They're, they're all in. And and I think in, in this case, that's sort of why the NBA, you go to NBA.com and you look at standings. It doesn't put them in division. It goes with conference. You have, ESPN you have, doesn't you have, either. To, you have to pick if division. You looked at ESPN. Yeah, just get, yeah same they don't, thing. They don't do just it. Just get rid of it. Ditch the divisions. That's one of the arguments I've made for, for baseball, too, because you have the similar problems in baseball now. At least in baseball, everyone plays everyone now. That'll help a little bit. But I get your point. I do. I, I, I get what the NHL is trying to do. They're trying to make their divisions matter, but I, I do concede the point. Well, they're
2: that great series. I'm not disputing but you're, you're the, losing the appeal some of, of the better series, teams. but they they
0: should be second-round series, not first-round series. Well, we will find out what happens with the Avs. They are in total control of their own destiny, which is what you look for at this stage. Pavel Francis was back. Uh, yes, he looked very rusty, as expected, but you expected that whenever he came back. So good news for the Avs. While we sit here with the NBA regular season done, the Avs have three games left. We are really in playoff time for the Avalanche. The playoff run starts right now. Really, I mean, they have to find a way to. to, Oh, these are the playoffs. This is the playoffs. They 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 count as regular season games, but this is the playoffs. Which team are you more comfortable with? Which team are you are concerned about? Why? Our phone and call numbers three zero three eight three one thirteen forty. Just let us know. Further,
2: the uh, kind of the attractiveness Mm -hmm. of the conversation. The Denver Nuggets have won 30 games in 2023. The Colorado Avalanche have won 30 games in 2023.
0: <laughs> both 82 game seasons. We'll see. We'll find out. Obviously, we'll check in uh with the, both of these clubs and see what is up next. Obviously, the Avs going, the Nuggets resting. What have we learned? What do we expect to find out? We'll tell you next on my life sports. I don't know. I the like I've been road tonight. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar weekdays at two on mile high sports. Last year, Nicole Jokic said, probably when I'm old, fat and grumpy, hopefully I'm going to remember it. And I'm going to tell my kids back in the days, I was really good playing basketball. That's what he said upon winning his second consecutive MVP. The MVP were, by the way, in case you didn't, some things at the NBA, I, I I'm kind of, I obviously picked on their idea with divisions and, uh, whole bunch of new trophies. Same as the old trophies. Just new names. Uh, the MVP trophy by the way, originally uh, the Podoloff trophy after the league's yeah. first commissioner is now the Michael Jordan trophy Good. for the MVP. It should be named after a player, not a commissioner. And, and they've done that. The Jerry West trophy will now be the clutch player of the Year. Mr. Clutch. Uh, Hakeem Olajuwon, obviously, you can guess where that's going. Defensive Player <laughs> of the Year. Wilt Chamberlain Trophy is now the name of the Rookie of the Year, so they're borrowing liberally from hockey or trying to get some of their history in there. John Havlicek Trophy, Sixth Man sixth of the man. Year, as one could imagine. Sure. And Most Improved Player of the Year will be the George Mikan Trophy. The two most
2: underrated players in the history of the NBA have awards named after them now. Hakeem Olajuwon is one, and John Havlicek is the other one.
0: Yeah, I, I'm. I'm with. I obviously can't speak directly on Havlicek or the Havlicek, like I. I've only seen him play more than you have
2: because I'm older than you are. Yeah. But I thought, if you took the careers of Oscar West and Havlicek during the first half of Havlicek's career, he was that sixth man, and I mean, Oscar and Jerry West were the gold standard. Yeah. Come on guards, I would submit to you, though, that during the second halves of their respective careers, Havlicek was
0: the better or best of the three, followed by West and Oscar. And Akeem Olajuwon, obviously. Uh, I mean, if you didn't know anything about Akeem Olajuwon, just know this, um. He was drafted in front of, remember that, that 84 draft, went number one, Olajuwon, number two, Sam Bowie, which is why the trailblazers still get some noise for that. Number three, Michael Jordan. Nobody has ever said what idiots the Rockets were for drafting Akeem Olajuwon over enough. Michael Jordan. Nobody. <laughs> totally legitimate, totally that. defensible pick. Of course not. I mean, that, yeah,
2: pretty remarkable. And, uh, you know, Akeem, a multiple-time world champion. Uh who knows what would have happened if Michael Jordan not retired? But I think Michael Jordan needed the break. And without going back and reviewing all of the circumstances involved, Some of which uh, suffice were. to say that Michael yeah. Jordan perhaps needed the break and was that much better when he finally did come back. He only missed one full year. He came back late the following season and they lost to uh, Shaquille O'Neal, Penny Hardaway, and Orlando in the playoffs. But I think. Certainly, Akeem Olajuwon deserves a special place. Uh, The man of a thousand moves. And his soccer background, I think, helped him enormously as a basketball player. I thought, and I had a long conversation once on a bus with Alex English about this, that there were times when I watched Olajuwon, and I watched him a lot in person, both here against the Nuggets and down in Houston against the Nuggets. Wilt is the most unstoppable force in the history of the NBA, and Kareem had the sky hook, but I'll tell you what, Olajuwon was unguardable for a time, Yeah, especially during those While two championship still being years. A Clearly outplayed Patrick Ewing in the B- NBA B- Finals in 1994 and was a, Believe it or not, a better defensive player than Ewing was. Although, if you had watched the two in college, you would have said Olajuwon way ahead of Ewing as an offensive player, but Ewing just as far ahead of Olajuwon as a defensive player. And it turned out that Olajuwon's defense was vastly underrated, and so was Patrick Ewing's offense, vastly underrated. In fact, I I think in the pros as great as he was on offense Olajuwon was was maybe even better on defense and Ewing was better on offense than he was on defense now that in the, pros, is the,
0: uh, the Michael Jordan award Nicole Jokic is not going to win it Joel Embiid is going to win it and that's basically become the the narrative is is that the top three guys Jokic uh, yeah. Giannis and, and and Embiid are basically uh just pick whichever you'd like, and you'll have That's every right. argument that you'd make. You'd want to make to defend it. And so I think NBA writers are going to take the easy way out and just not— Two guys
2: have won twice, twice and one, one hasn't guy won hasn't won, won. won. Yeah, so at
0: all. They're going to just go that direction. Uh, I presume that Jokic knows that, but you brought up earlier in the program that after the whole stat-padding accusation, he's been a little bit of a funk. You won't know who's named the, the MVP still for about a month. The, the playoffs will be underway. Would it be would it be better if it was earlier for Jokic just to be like, it's Tim Beads, we know now, stop asking questions, and then Jokic can get behind him? Or is he sort of I over it now? I may be
2: proven wrong because far be it for me to anticipate what other writers and broadcasters will ask Nikola Jokic in the days and weeks ahead. But I would hope... That the questions about the MVP race, which is, after all, a regular season award, would cease and desist Once the playoffs now that the began? playoffs have
0: begun. Ho- maybe so. Hopefully there's no, so. There's
2: there no reason to ask him about it
0: anymore. Especially when there's plenty of re- questions to ask there, about there are other narratives. how does it feel like to try to lead the Denver Nuggets, who have never right. had a top seed, to the first time they're right. ever in the NBA Exactly finals. right. I mean, those exactly. are the questions to be asking.
2: And and, and uh, R- Ryan was right earlier. At all the pressure is on Jokic, but it's playoff pressure it has nothing to do with, well, can you, uh, you know, somehow enhance your regular season reputation here in in the playoffs? No, they're two distinctly different things. And Jokic has been terrific in the playoffs, but the Nuggets have also lost 14 of their last 20 playoff games. Mm-hmm. And That is certainly not even close to being Jokic's fault in much of any way, shape, or form. However, the best player in the world, arguably over the last three years...
0: Mm -hmm. I think you could make that argument. Over the last three years? Does not
2: have within the team structure a record... And Embiid doesn't either, Red by state, the way. Yeah. The only one of the Embiid's three in who the does is Giannis. Giannis. Of course. Because he's won his championship. The other two have had teams. They haven't underachieved, but their teams have underachieved in the playoffs. So that's the burden that Embiid and Jokic carry that maybe Giannis does not in the playoffs. And, of course, the Bucks were the best team in the regular All season. All year long,
0: basically. And, right. I-
2: I don't Boston know that Giannis later. had a hell of a lot of help this
0: year. That's with why I, I, being out. This is why I argued that's, he would be the MVP if I had I, a vote. If I was if gonna give it to you, I would
2: pick Jokic. But if I had a second choice, it wouldn't be Embiid. It would be Giannis because he was the best player on the best team with the least amount of help by comparison with Embiid and Jokic. Jokic had Murray and no All Stars. And Gordon the first half of the year, maybe even the first two thirds of the season, was a nice sidekick to have yeah. for Jokic. For a sure. guy who could defend who could rebound. He's kind of flattened out. And so I I really do think the subject in the first round will be Can the Nuggets, as heavy favorites, and they will be prohibitive favorites,
0: oh, no matter who they play,
2: regardless the identity of their opponent, right? And they should. Can they dispatch their opponent quickly?
0: Yeah, that's. I I think that's the that is the question. That's what they or do they get
2: extended six or seven games? I would quibble with Ryan on one point he made earlier, that Portland series that he cited in twenty twenty one. I think we'll all remember was two games apiece the fifth game was here and it went triple overtime and Lillard went crazy and either team could have won that game and the winner of that game was going to win the series so it's a closer series than it
0: apiece. yeah I think I think you're right and congratulations to the NBA on the whole by the way new records for total attendance average attendance capacity sellouts, 791 sellouts the vote previous record was 760 back in 28 2019 and on average, leagues arenas were filled to an all-time high 97% capacity across the entire league, the first time ever in which teams averaged over 18,000 fans a game, 18,077 for the record, by the way. For basketball, Ball Arena is set up to hold an audience of 19,099. So, I mean, you're talking about uh, NBA in a, on a roll, and it is, to my mind, give them this. Look at the top seeds we have. You have Denver, you have Milwaukee, Memphis is up here in the in the West. Sacramento's up in the West. This is David's I've been I've been reading people nationally. In New York talk, Los Angeles yeah, Chicago talking about how David Miami. Stern's vision has come to reality. Now David Stern is spinning in his grave that it's not gonna be a way he can structure a New York, Chicago, LA final. But uh it is validation to Adam Silver's approach and the owner's approach to look at the NFL model and say, you know what actually grows your sport? Every single fan understanding that their team has a real chance to win if it's run right. And the NBA is doing that, and they are paying, they're getting the dividends for it. I thought, although
2: I must confess, I probably watched more college basketball this year than I ever have. And uh, by comparison with how much I watched the NBA, I probably watched college basketball at least as fervently, and I've always been an NBA guy. But I do think it was a fascinating regular season. I really do. And I think some of these playoff matchups to see how the the Lakers come back from the dead, if they in fact do.
0: I mean, I, it, it, can uh, you envision? Golden
2: I mean, State, the defending champion, a sixth seed without home court. And I can envision the, the Lakers coming
0: out as the seventh seed and knocking off Memphis in the first round. I can see it happen.
2: Oh, I could see that. I, and I certainly could see Golden State uh, beating knocking the, off the Sacramento Kings. team that hadn't been in the playoffs. Uh, yep. Since
0: the second George Bush was president, agreed completely. I, I think that's absolutely the case. And so you look at and you look at how tight it had gotten over in the East. You know, who would be surprised if some of these were obsessed? I mean, you've brought it up before. The Brooklyn Nets are going to sneak up on somebody. Maybe it's the Sixers. Maybe, maybe. And again, that that reminds me a
2: little bit of what the Nuggets might go through because hey, just like there's pressure on the Nuggets. It's going to be pressure on Philadelphia in the first round, and Brooklyn is not a bad yeah. team. They don't have, it isn't the model they had before Durant and Kyrie were dealt, but they have more good basketball players now who actually seem to want to play together.
0: And the pressure lands concept. on the uh, soon-to-be MVP Joel Embiid now to yep. get it done, so yep. that's the advantage sure. as well. So sure. we'll find out uh, what happens over the course of this week. The playing tournament starts tomorrow. The Abs take on the Oilers tomorrow, that'll be a big game. We'll make sure we take a peek at that as well. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Danny Bailey in the booth. Andrew Detmer taking care of the video side of it as well. We had guests like Kyle Fredrickson from the Denver Gazette. Make sure you check him out. And Ryan Blackburn right here from Mile High Sports, the Pick, Axe, and Roll podcast. We're going to hand things off to our friends at Afternoon Drive, Anilo Piro and Cody Rourke. Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. Thank you for joining us, but keep it right here on Mile High Sports. I want it. to me